0: Good morning and welcome to Midpoint, your midweek, mid morning public affairs show where we bring you important news and issues with a local perspective. I'm Janet Sherberger. And I'm Shelley Reback. And the amazing Patty Perky is answering phones for us. Today, the climate crisis. Last week, the UN released a climate report that Secretary General called a code red for humanity that, quote, must sound a death knell for coal and fossil fuels before they destroy our planet. The report stated unequivocally that climate change and global warming are human-caused. It also concludes that there is no stopping some warming over the next 30 years, and extreme weather will get worse. To avoid conditions practically hostile to humans, the report states, we must cut emissions created by burning fossil fuels. We'll dive more into the report later in the hour with Dr. Don Chambers from the USF College of Marine Science. But first in the studio with us is U.S. Representative Kathy Castor, a Democrat from Hillsborough County who chairs the House Select Committee on the Climate Crisis. Welcome to the show, Representative Castor. Thanks for being here.
1: Janet, Shelley, everybody, all of our neighbors across Tampa Bay, thank you for having me here this morning.
0: WMNF listeners, what do you think? Are you concerned about our climate? Are you trying to reduce your own carbon footprint? Tell us about it. Give us a call at 813-239-9663 or send us an email at dj at wmnf.org or text us at 813-239-9663. 433-0885. 433-0885. That's 813-239-9663 if you want to call or send us an email at dj at WMNF.org. Representative Castor is chairman of the Select Committee on the Climate Crisis. Did the tone of the U.N. report surprise you?
1: It's a real call to action. It is now. They they are ramping up the level of urgency, and we need to pay attention. Uh, it was a call to action, but it's a call to immediate action it also tells us that it's not too late to avoid the worst impacts and the rising cost of the climate crisis if we act with urgency. And I think everyone understands uh, just looking at the headlines, looking around the country, around the globe right now, climate change is making heat and extreme weather events uh, more severe, more frequent. Uh, last month, July 2021, was the hottest month on record since they've been keeping those records the 10 hottest years uh, on record have happened all since 2005 and we're seeing it everywhere in fact here in tampa just last summer we set an all-time record high of 99 degrees now you add in the humidity here and it's unbearable uh so uh we must take action now i was not surprised with the with the call to action and level of of urgency in the report
0: Your committee released a climate action plan last June, and it has 12 pillars in it, and recommendations include everything from decarbonizing our electric grid to fixing our tax code so it doesn't favor gas and oil companies, and supporting climate science. How many elements of that report are we seeing movement on right now? It seems like quite a few through various vehicles in Congress.
1: Well, it's an all-of-government approach, and thank goodness the United States government is back in the game because over the... During the last administration, we had to rely on cities, states, communities, citizens, uh, on climate action. But now in Florida, that's a problem. Relying on our state government. You bet it is, and it's been a problem for decades. And you would think here in this most vulnerable state of Florida, where we've, you know, seas are rising, more severe hurricanes. uh, You know, just look at the Piney Point. Disaster so a lot. Piney
2: Point is something I was going to bring up with you and ask you, because what we see is these um, unique weather events causing a cascading of problems. I mean, just today, apparently, uh, the Piney Point uh, uh, plant is 50 gallons, something like uh, 50 gallons, uh, 50 million more gallons of water. Uh, Before there's another spill and the state has filed an emergency action asking the courts to declare that the current operator be replaced right now immediately because they don't have confidence that they'll be able to prevent another spill. So this these weather events have a cascading uh, effect and then nobody knows what that much nitrogen in the in the water system around here is going to do to our climate. Uh, the more dead fish, the more methane
1: release, the
2: more problems we have with with climate. It's a it's a circular problem.
1: There's been real malfeasance by the state of Florida over the past decades when it comes to Piney Point, but all of our water bodies. Uh, what I've learned from scientists is uh, pollution deposits itself, atmospheric deposition, on our water bodies, including Tampa Bay and the Gulf of Mexico. So you already have higher nutrient levels, add in higher temperatures, and then an emergency situation like the dump of the the toxic stew from Piney Point. And that's a recipe for not just an environmental catastrophe, but an economic catastrophe for our community. Uh, so we better get a handle on this. And people have got to stand up to state policymakers and say, we, when we passed land preservation and, and buying pol- uh, a constitutional amendment, follow through. We rely on a robust Department of Environmental Protection to enforce environmental laws. They've been absent. Uh, all of this implicates itself in the climate crisis.
2: And can we help, hope for some federal uh, assistance on that type of thing? Because we are failing so badly in seeking help from our
1: state authorities. Well, here's some good news. Through the uh, Biden Build Back Better agenda, what is on tap right now in the Congress is the most transformational investment in clean energy and resilience uh, for our country in history.
0: Um, We've got an email from Michelle Allen who has a question for Representative Castor. She wants to know, will you co-sponsor the End Polluter Welfare Act to repeal fossil fuel subsidies and push for an end to fossil fuel subsidies in the budget reconciliation process?
1: That sounds like it's right up my alley. That, was, that recommendation was included in our climate crisis action plan. And folks who are interested in that report, uh, go to house.climatecrisis.gov to review the hundreds of recommendations that we've made for climate action across the U.S. government. And many of which of those are in the Budget Reconciliation
0: Bill and in the Infrastructure Bill.
1: That's correct. And uh, thankfully, we have an administration now that is taking action. Now, it's difficult to watch the sausage being made in the United States Senate. uh, But this is the most critical time here in the House of Representatives. We've been called back. Uh, to Washington next week by Speaker Pelosi because it is the House of Representatives' turn to begin to hammer out the policies for this Build Back Better agenda which will include huge investments in clean energy. Uh, The cars that we drive are going to go all electric. I was at the White House a couple of weeks ago when they had the big three automakers with the auto workers, with the environmental leaders because Now this is a global competitiveness issue as well. We're, all of the cars and trucks that we drive are going to be electric over the next few years, but you need to craft the policies to make that happen. What about Ta- s- subsidies? Yeah, are there likely to be
0: subsidies for those? Because that's what they do in other countries, and right now electric vehicles are expensive.
1: Yes, uh, tax credits, not for uh, the big Hummers or maybe the more expensive vehicles. This this is going These are going to be targeted to working people. Uh, also, incentives so that we get a handle on supply chains because the type, what, goes into these cars the batteries are a little bit different than the internal combustion engine so we need to help workers uh, retool factories and you'll see uh, huge investments there. And that's also about making
0: factories cleaner isn't that also part of what's
1: in your climate action plan is making manufacturing cleaner? Yes all we have an enormous opportunity this is going to be a major job creator. The buses our children ride to school. The buses that you see on the streets of Tampa are going to go electric. Huge new investments in rail and transit across the country. These are good-paying jobs. You don't need a college degree in many cases to do this. Uh, cha- Change over and making our, our communities more resilient, too, when it comes to clean water. Another very important issue that the Tampa Bay area and the state of Florida. And
2: you have until the midterm elections to, to make this this wondrous land of electricity happen and, uh, you know, all of these priorities in the climate action plan, you know, we have until, only until the midterm elections. And as much as, uh, as the climate is an existential threat, to humanity. We also have the concurrent existential threat to our democracy by our inability to pass voting rights legislation at this point. Um, you know, when the with the midterms coming up, we worry, um, frankly, that, you know, we won't have an administration as friendly to the policies that you are promoting
1: in the next go round without action on voting. Well, here's some other good news, Shelley. Uh, Speaker Pelosi informed us yesterday that next week when we go back, we're not just going to work on the budget resolution. We're going to uh, vote on H.R. 4, the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. Excellent. Great. We've got a, um, some folks on the line, so let's take a
0: call from um, Javon in Seminole Heights. Javon in Seminole Heights, you're on the air. What's on your mind?
3: So um, my first point is a little esoteric, but I think it, it strikes me as important that The environment, the planet, the world that gave birth to humanity no longer exists. The planet that our children and grandchildren will inherit is essentially an alien world that we have created through the rampant use of fossil fuels and a a host of other types of environmental damage that we've done that has um, permanently changed the world that we live in. Um, The more relevant thing that I would ask um, is what about tidal power? florida is a coastal state i think florida has more coastline than the entire rest of the east coast and um, that seems like a natural opportunity to go in on tidal power the way these states that have a lot of wind um have gone in on windmills and that's something that again creates jobs changes the dynamic of electricity um and how we produce it and um you know is a win for everybody involved um so i would love to see um, those subsidies that that should be taken away from fossil fuels go over to um, tidal power and other forms of clean energy, and for local governments to have the power to enact that.
1: What do you, Representative Castor, is that something that's on your radar? Is well, first Time of all, you're, you're right. We have a moral obligation to our kids and future generations to act now. and we, we simply can't wait any longer. And you're right that the oceans hold a lot of uh, climate solutions. Here in Florida, what I've learned from experts is our greatest potential in clean energy is solar power. The tidal, uh, tidal potential tidal power, not so much here in the Gulf of Mexico, possibly on the East Coast in the Gulf Stream, and then uh, wind energy, these new wind resources, especially up in the mid-Atlantic where uh, they now have the first wind solar, offshore solar wind farm. And what was interesting to me, because climate means jobs, just as President Biden says, the uh, president of Orsted, the company that is going to build that offshore wind farm, called to say, Congressman Castor, guess what? We're going to build the vessels at Port Tampa Bay that are going to help install and maintain that wind farm. So this is... When they, you know, this old canard that we can't tackle climate because it's going to cost jobs, that is untrue, and people don't believe that anymore.
0: And that's actually one of the arguments that our, our esteemed Florida Senator yeah, Rick, Rick Scott yeah. makes, who he, he quote, says, I'm not doing anything to raise the cost of living for American families, end quote. And he says he wants to address climate change, but, quote, you can't do it where you're killing jobs, end quote. And so it's just a matter of shifting jobs to a different, uh, to a different, um, section of the economy, sector of the economy. We have another call. We've got CJ and Sulphur Springs. CJ and Sulphur Springs, you're on the air. What's on your mind?
3: Hey, that guy I was talking before that has a pretty
4: good grip on the actual state. You know, dancing on the soapbox is not going to do a whole lot of good when you've got a bunch of bad guys in positions to block anything that's going to take place. Then you've got the petroleum industry sitting there, fangs down to their knees, waiting for opportunity to continue... And they're going to switch over to electric over a period of time, perhaps. How many poor people can go out and buy a Prius or or something that's totally electric? Yes, yeah. CJ,
0: you make a point, And I think that that's one of the things that Representative Castor was talking about and that we don't have in the United States that we need more of, which is subsidies for people to be able to go electric. And CJ, thanks for the call. Um, do you want
1: to reiterate that a little bit? Talk about that a little bit more, Representative Castor, the subsidies for people who... Yes. Under the Climate Crisis Action Plan and and President Biden's Build Back Better agenda, we want to target at least 40% of all the benefits to communities that have borne the burden, a disproportionate burden of pollution over time, and that includes helping them in their homes. I was out in East Tampa a couple of days ago, listening to to folks at the Oaks Senior Center, and they said they need help with just basics on their homes, repairing the AC. How about we intend to fund more energy efficient appliances for people, weatherizing homes, better insulation that'll help lower their electric bills. They interestingly, they need help just taking care of the trees in the neighborhood, and that's why one of the reasons. I'm excited about the climate. The Climate Corps, uh, just it's kind of modeled after FDR's Civilian Conservation Corps. This new group of not volunteers but paid, uh, just like the Americorps service corps, that will help communities down at the grassroots level. I see enormous need here in Tampa, in the whole Tampa Bay area, to rebuild shorelines to make sure that. folks get get the help they need when it comes to just weatherizing their homes and a little help taking care of the trees in the neighborhood. And that's, oh, the, speak, civi-
0: that's um, the Civilian Climate Corps is what you're talking about. Correct. And that's something that's coming. Is that in, where, where will we see that
1: coming out of? What's You'll see the House of Representatives ha- hammering that out in the next, uh, by, probably by mid-September as we act on the Biden Build Back Better agenda. And uh, speaking of trees,
2: we have a text message from one of our listeners who says, Dear Ms. Castor, losing our forests means we don't hold we don't hold carbon well at all. Can't Tampa focus more and more on trees to reduce our AC needs in Tampa? And we were just talking about that. The Florida state legislature has prevented us from having our own local tree ordinances to protect our tree canopy here in Florida to do just that. That's a problem. Um, I'm not sure that the feds have preemptive power over the Florida state legislature that has taken preemptive power over local municipal ordinances on trees.
1: You're right, Shelley. It's just uh, appalling that the Florida legislature has preempted local communities like the city of Tampa from protecting their trees. So a developer can go in and wipe out Trees put up a McMansion or a car wash or something like that, (laughs) where trees stood. So this is an issue when you go to the ballot box or someone comes knocking on your door and they're running for the state House of Representatives, the state Senate. It's become a partisan issue. So the Republican Party that's been firmly in control in Tallahassee, they have gutted uh, the ability of local communities to to protect their trees. And Tampa is so special with, if you go up in a high rise building and look out across the city of Tampa, it is green and it makes living here uh, special. and We've got to protect it. Um,
2: and but it helps our climate. You it, bet it does. I mean, trees, you know, they filter the air, they t- take the carbon dioxide out of the air, they create shade, which lowers the temperature. I mean, this is a, this is a climate resource, that and it's also
1: an environmental justice issue because what we learned is that there are heat islands, especially among communities of color and lower-income working-class communities that haven't had the investment in the trees or the care for their trees over time. So our climate crisis action plan will provide a new resources to communities that want to do it. Whether you can overcome state preemption, that'll be a battle in the days ahead. If you're just
0: tuning in, you're listening to Midpoint on WMNF Tampa. I'm Janet Sherberger here with Shelley Reback, my co-host, and we have U.S. Representative Kathy Castor in the studio with us, who is the chair of the House Select Committee on Clim- the Climate Crisis. If you want to weigh in, join the conversation or ask a question, give us a call Call at 813-239-9663 or send us an email at dj at org. Um, we've got a, a phone. Uh, Stanley's been waiting on the line for a while. Stanley from Tampa. Stanley from Tampa, you're on the air. What's on your mind? Uh,
5: yes, thank you. Uh, Ms. Caster, thank you for being on the show. Um, I have a question.
2: Talking to the phone, Stanley. We can't really hear you. Yes,
5: with, with, Florida, uh, with Florida's growth,
2: Okay, Stanley, we can't hear you, so you're going to have to either take yourself off speakerphone or call back on another line. Okay, we lost him. Can you hear me?
5: Yeah. Yes. With Florida's growth being so rapid, we have so many people coming into the state that are not invested in the natural resources we have here, such as our aquifer, our springs, our, our uh, vast amounts of wetlands that are being, uh, and trees that are being cut down. H- how do we help educate those people as to why Florida is so special and how to save our resources within Florida and how to vote um, Democratic or progressive uh, um, members into the state house?
0: Well, Stanley, I would recommend telling people to tune into Midpoint on WMNF (laughs) in Tampa because we cover these issues all the time. That's right. And talk about, thanks for the call, Stanley, and talk about how important it is to protect our environment and to um, elect leaders that will, will protect our environment and recognize the urgency of the climate crisis.
2: And Stanley, I'm deputizing you now to go around knocking on doors and telling your neighbors how important it is to elect the leaders that Janet just described.
1: You know, and Stanley, thank you so much i i started as a young attorney working for the state of florida enforcing growth management laws in the state from the keys to to the panhandle i love i love florida and uh committed in the house of representative fight offshore oil drilling and now in the recent years the the stepping up to to lead the climate crisis uh action plan in the house and i look back here at florida and it's a real head scratcher there was a recent poll that came out. I think the University of South Florida did or someone said, you know, protection of Florida's natural environment uh, has support across the political spectrum. So why doesn't that translate in Tallahassee? Why, why do we elect a Rick Scott that guts growth management laws, guts the Department of Environmental Protection? doesn't enforce clean water action. And I think you have to look at the power of the special interest. The the way that big money flows into political campaigns and influence, it's happening right now with Governor DeSantis, he is completely absent when it comes to environmental stewardship uh, and not representing this state very well. And I think it's this is a wake-up call, and I hope this IPCC climate report also will, will compel citizens to rise up and demand better of their leaders in Tallahassee and in Washington. Well, you talk about the oil and gas interests.
0: So in the 2020 election cycle alone, oil, gas, coal mining, and other energy companies gave $46 million to the Republican Party. So that's just in 2020. That's more than those industries donated to Democrats over the past um, decade, and that's according to the Center for Responsive Politics. So that's where they're putting their money, and uh, in a place like Florida, where we have a a Republican-dominated legislature, that's how you end up with state lawmakers anyway, preempting goals that our local government set when it comes to um, climate change and clean energy.
2: Uh, we have, a, we have an email here from uh, Jeannie, a PhD candidate at USF, who says, Dear uh, Representative Castor, you mentioned that the purchase of conservation lands is an important component to mitigating the worst impacts of climate change, but we have an emerging problem in Tampa where state-owned conservation land, the USF Forest Preserve, is being eyed for development by the university. This land filters pollutants out of our drinking water and sequesters atmospheric carbon, the of this land has broad implications for the sustainable future of Tampa Bay. Is there anything that can be done on the federal level to ensure this land remains protected? That's from Jeannie at USF.
1: Jeannie, thank you for being a leader and protecting that vitally important USF Forest Preserve. I've uh, made my opinion known to to uh, President Corral. Now he's moved on. Uh, but uh, from the federal level, I think... What we can do is is shine a light on it. most of the uh, the existing land use regulations here are local, so uh, kudos to the Hillsborough Board of county commissioners for for uh, uh, making sure that the the comprehensive plan land use designations do not change without that, it will be difficult for USF to to develop it. But it is appalling to me that it was even on the table. And I think the important thing right now is to weigh in with the USF Board of Trustees, the new interim president, Ria Law, uh, state legislators, uh, the president, Wilton Simpson, uh, is in our backyard, Chris Sprouse, the Speaker of the House, is in our backyard, and let them know this would be devastating. It would be so costly. This is also our drinking water supply for Tampa and the hills river uh, but this is an important piece that uh, pristine property right in the middle of a growing community so let's rally to to make sure they they do not develop this piece i want to be respectful of your time representative castor we've got um another call
0: let's take uh, one last call at least for this segment of the show from terry in st petersburg terry in st petersburg you're on the air what's on your mind
5: well, uh, number one, I think Representative Pastor is absolutely right. It, it's all about money. Um, the vast majority of um, people up in Tallahassee right now seem to care more about the donors than about um, the voters. Um, but I'll, and I also want to point out I know you all were talking about the tree ordinance and preemption. Um, name an area, pick, pick something that you care about that you might want local governments to do, and it has been preempted by the Florida legislature or it will be. Apprenticeship ordinances. minimum wage, impact fees. You must
2: have been listening to Midpoint over the last two years because we've tackled all of those issues and and the preemption uh, that is coming out of Tallahassee. It's Well, I know
5: about it because I'm an activist and every single thing I have worked on in the past 20 years in the county and in the city has been preempted by the local legislature. They don't care about the voters at all.
2: What's your question for Representative Castor?
5: Um, is is the only way to deal with this both these people out and why do we keep, why do people keep voting for them
1: <laughs> Thanks for the call Terry that is the, that is the big question. <laughs> yes, let's, let, people need now to, to tune in. We make sure your friends are registered to vote. It's never too early. We know there is going to be a concerted voter suppression efforts already underway. They passed laws last uh, legislative session. So how do you beat it back? People power, making sure young people uh, who are coming to school here register to vote. All of your neighbors organizing. I know it's difficult during the times of COVID, but we can do a lot. And people power, I I firmly believe, can can overcome uh, our worst problems. But Florida, boy, we have a lot of work to do.
2: Yeah, and there's no sitting back. There's no laying back on this election. We need everybody uh, to work toward these goals that are so important then really truly existential. Uh, our
1: way of life. Our way of life. Everything we uh, hold dear, why we live in, in Florida, what a special place. And we just have to work to keep it that way on every level. Uh, Well, thank
0: you for being with us, Representative Castor. Um, Up next, um, a conversation with Dr. Don Don Chambers, a USF marine science professor. He authored a chapter in the previous UN climate report, and he also contributed data and helped review the latest report. He spoke to Midpoint earlier this week. Let's give it a listen. Tell me, um, Dr. Chambers, how dire is this UN climate report that was released last week?
6: Well, I mean, I don't like to use the term dire, but it tells us the facts of where we are at the moment and where we can be in the next uh, 50 to 70 years uh, as terms of sea level rise, uh, warming of the ocean, increased precipitation and storm risk. Um, And it's dire if we don't do anything.
0: When there's a certain amount, my understanding is that there, there's a certain amount of damage done. So over the next 30 years, even if right now we uh, stop emissions, there's a certain amount of climate change and warming and weather patterns that are going to happen regardless. So what does that look like? Yeah,
6: yeah so we're, we're basically, we've baked some global warming into the system. And that's primarily because the ocean holds so much heat. And the ocean has been holding about 91% to 94% of all the excess heat that has been stored in the Earth system. And the ocean is a regulator of that heat. And so that's going to contribute to uh, sea level rise. It's going to contribute to melting of glaciers. It's going to contribute to uh, excess precipitation because a warm ocean is able to evaporate more water that gets into the water cycle, and it also fuels stronger and stronger hurricanes. So, you know, at the moment, as you said, if we magically somehow go carbon-free tomorrow, we still have about 25 to 50 percent more carbon greenhouse gases in the atmosphere than we did pre-industrial those aren't gonna go away immediately. It takes centuries for carbon dioxide to be naturally scrubbed from the environment.
0: Do you have any sense of what the Tampa Bay area might look like given this inev- inevitable change?
6: Well, so so the, the primary things that I think are going to affect the Tampa Bay area are in terms of precipitation and sea level rise. <clears throat> uh The temperature changes here in the Tampa Bay area, at least according to the charts in the report, are not going to be too extreme, but the ocean temperatures around Tampa Bay are going to be warmer than they have been, and that's going to contribute to more intense storms, more intense hurricanes, more possibility of precipitation in the water cycle. And so we should expect more intense storms And more precipitation with those storms, uh, you know, even into 2050 or so, and even more if we don't reduce the carbon dioxide in the atmosphere after that. And on top of that, sea level is rising at the same time. And so when you have the combination of higher sea level and more storms that are dumping a lot of rain on the area, it takes longer for that water to get out of the system. And so we'll, we'll have more flooding. You know, there, there's no way around it.
0: And do we know how much sea level is expected to rise in our area over the next
6: 30 years? Over, over the next 30 years, it's not that much different depending on which scenario we are in terms of our greenhouse gas emissions. And it's, it's pretty much what's baked into the system right now is where we're going to be over the next 30 years. And so right now it's we're right sea level is rising at about 3.5 to to 4 millimeters per year and so you can simply extrapolate that out to 2050 or so and that's going to be around 6 to 7 inches higher sea level. Okay. And so that doesn't sound like a lot, but what effect that will have is that where you haven't had flooding now from small storms, you will start to get flooding from small storms. When you have a storm and wind blowing in the right direction, you can have at high tide is higher than normal. And if you have rain dumped at the same time, it can't drain fast enough. And you're going to have excess excess, uh, uh, flooding in various coastal areas. You'll also have more beach erosion. You'll also have, you know, more uh, saltwater intrusion into the groundwater. Uh, So it's it's a whole host of things, even with that small rise in sea level over 2050. And that's baked into the system right now, as I said. There's no way that's going to go away, even if we get rid of greenhouse gases.
0: You were saying if we magically right now stop greenhouse gas emissions or we stop the emissions, then we can not things won't get necessarily any worse than is already predicted, what's baked in.
5: Yeah.
6: From
0: what you're seeing, do you see that leaders are taking the action that they need to take?
6: No, no. I mean, so, you know, the, the IPCC report has various climate scenarios. Uh, you know, the one scenario is uh, we start reducing our dependence on greenhouse gases immediately and we reduce it to a net zero by 2050. Uh, I I find that completely unrealistic. Uh, And and frankly, there's no plausible way to do that with just solar and wind power. Uh, That has to include nuclear power, which I know a lot of people don't like to think about. But nuclear power, in terms of uh, climate change and greenhouse gas emissions, is cleaner even than solar and wind because of the the cost of the materials uh, to manufacture. Um, The other scenario which might be plausible is a slow reduction in uh, carbon dioxide emissions with a goal toward zero net by 2075 to 2080. Uh, that is, is possible if we start immediately shifting our infrastructure uh, and our dependence on coal, natural gas, and the, you know, the, the carbon-based uh, energy supplies. But frankly, personally, I think the um, pathway in the IPCC report that they call SSP to 4.5 is probably the most realistic optimal scenario in that we continue at the level we are and maybe get slightly higher up until about 2050, no 2070 or so. And then we start to transition to close to zero. Uh, but it's very possible the way that society, you know, after this whole last year with the coronavirus and how people tend to disregard the science and what needs to be done to protect themselves from the coronavirus, uh, I don't necessarily see that the entire majority of the world's population are going to do enough to even get that scenario, the the 4.5 four, four scenario. And so in that case, we're just going to continue putting carbon dioxide into the atmosphere and it's just going to get worse and worse. And we're looking at somewhere, you know, uh, three to uh, four degrees Celsius changes uh, by the end of the century. Wow. So you are not real positive. (laughs) No, I'm I'm not positive. I mean, I I, I, I tend to be a realist. And uh, if you had asked me this question pre-COVID... I might have said, yeah, I think we can do it. We, we have the technology to start changing, especially if we bring in nuclear power. But based on the last election cycle, <clears throat> especially here in the United States, and COVID and just how anti-science, a significant fraction of the U.S. and the world seem to be at the moment, uh, I don't think anybody cares or anybody's going to want to do anything about it.
0: Although it's not just up to the United and, States. You have those, I mean, China and India and other countries that don't,
6: yeah, don't necessarily yeah. are on board. Exactly, and South America, Africa. You know, uh, and this is also the issue that we have to deal with. You know, can we mandate that they have to go to clean power when it's more expensive for those countries? Uh, when they're 100 years behind us, in their infrastructure, right? So they, we had the opportunity to pollute for 200 years and build our economy up to where it is today should we handicap them uh, by not allowing them to do the same. And, and so that's, that's a, a, a very important uh, thing to think about in terms of equality and economics. And so we can't just be focused on ourselves. We, as one of the leaders of the of the world in terms of technology and science, have to be willing to put money and engineering towards helping other countries.
0: So there's a climate summit coming up in November. How important is that going to be in determining which scenario is likely to unfold?
6: Well, you know, the climate summits have been going on from all the countries for 30 years now, 25 years, and they keep agreeing to goals, but then certain countries decide not to uh, do anything to meet those goals. Uh, The United States is one of those countries. China has been another one of those countries. And unless the summit comes up with goals that every country can agree to and uh, move towards, it's just a conference and one group of people suggesting something and another group ignoring it.
0: That was Dr. Don Chambers, a USF marine science professor. Um, and as you heard him say, he's not confident that our leaders are doing all they can to prevent a really harrowing climate future. On the phone with us now is Aliki Moncrief of Florida Conservation Voters. She's going to talk to us a little bit about what has or hasn't been done in the Florida legislature on this er- in this area. Um, welcome to the show, Aliki. Are you on the line?
7: good morning. I'm here. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for being here. So tell us a little bit about um, what happened in the last Florida legislature. Was there Was there much movement at all in terms of addressing climate change and, and how many of the Florida conservation voters' goals were actually realized?
7: Yeah, that's a great question. You know, last legislative session, the spring of 2021, all eyes were definitely on resilience, climate resilience. And Thanks to the American Rescue Plan, um, we actually are seeing in Florida five hundred million dollars in funding to support the Florida Resilient or Resilient Florida um, Grant Program and other initiatives. So, on the resilience front, it's actually quite good news. Um, The state has allocated money to local communities to do vulnerability assessments, uh, to do some planning, to figure out how to how to adapt to what your, what your previous um, caller or, or interviewee um, was talking about.
0: So that's about resilience, uh, which is different from actually taking steps to re- reduce emissions. So what has happened in the legislature in terms of reducing emissions? Is there any movement on that front?
7: Sadly, no. So, you know, the theme of the legislature was thumbs up on resilience backward steps when it comes to clean energy. Um, this legislative session was extremely disappointing in, in for what it did not do. Um, we had a slew of really good bills, 100% clean energy bills, uh, solar schools bills, things that are bold, good ideas to move Florida forward to a clean energy future. And not only did those bills not see the light of day uh, because of, uh, unfortunately, Republican leadership not being supportive of these clean energy initiatives, bills that did pass actually doubled down on making it harder for local communities to do their own clean energy initiatives. So uh, folks may have heard about preemption. I think uh, Representative Castor earlier this morning was talking about it in the context of, of, of trees and tree ordinances. Unfortunately, this past legislature passed a bill basically saying that municipalities cannot in any way restrict fuel sources that utilities can provide to their customers. So if the community wanted to say, you know what, we're going to phase out gas, we're going to phase out polluting fossil fuels, they can no longer do so as a result of the state um, power grab, really, that happened this past session.
0: Right. That that was... interesting. I mean, really does fly in the face of what the UN Climate Report recommends. If you're just tuning in, uh, you're listening to Midpoint in Tampa and we have uh, Aliki Moncrief on the phone with us from Florida Conservation Voters and we're talking about the climate crisis. So, uh, WMNF listeners, what do you think? Are you concerned about our climate future? Are you trying to reduce your own carbon footprint? Um, Tell us about it. You can give us a call at 813-239-9663 or send us an email at DJ at WMNF mnf.org um, We've got um, an email from uh, or text message from somebody who is responding to a comment that our previous guest made, uh, Don Chambers, and I might I'm going to ask you to comment on it, an Aliki, um, and he is saying. Um, everything was going so well with your male guest until we said we have to go nuclear power. Given his reliance on the science, I suggest he go back and crunch those numbers again. Everything from the amount of time it takes to get them online to the cost without even factoring in the issue of nuclear waste. It is a non-starter on every level. It's an interesting area. I mean, I grew up from the um, the no nukes movement in the 1970s and that um, great concert with Jackson Brown and, and all those folks that were, were no nukes. And But there's a lot of conversation now about nuclear power. And I'm wondering, does the Florida conservation voters have a position on that?
7: We don't support nuclear power. Um, when you look at, you know, for example, the Build Back Better plan, when you look at uh, forward-thinking ideas on how to get us a clean, renewable energy future, we, we don't see nuclear as necessary. And we actually think, um, you know, one of the downsides of nuclear is that, unfortunately, the communities that bear the brunt of the, the pollution that's caused by nuclear, the risk that's caused by nuclear, are often the very same communities that have always borne a disproportionate brunt of pollution and, and lack of environmental protections. And, and in Florida, those are specifically Black communities, Latino communities, so we, we don't support nuclear. We don't think we need it. Um, I think that, you know, as, as your previous guest, uh, Representative Haster was highlighting the Build Back Better plan, if we can get, if we can make that happen, it will be transformational. Um, and then on the state level, you know, we've got Representative Eskamani, who's in Central Florida, Senator Lori Berman, who's in Southeast Florida. You know, they're not giving up on 100% clean energy by 2040, net zero by 2050. They're not giving up on solar schools. Uh, they're not giving up on making our ele- our school bus suites electric. Um, and all of those things, one, can happen if we can get the Build Back Better plan passed, voted on, you know, moving, and then see some real action from state lawmakers as well.
2: We have a message from Charles who agrees with you on nuclear. He says everything was going so well with your male guest until he said we have to go to nuclear power. Given his reliance on the science i suggest he go back and crunch those numbers again everything from the amount of time it takes to get them online to the life cycle cost even factoring in the issue of nuclear waste it is a non-starter on every level that's from charles mm-hmm. um, we also have i totally on- agree with charles
0: yep <laughs> we have andrew on the line andrew and from far-flung hardy county so we've got a listener in hardy county andrew and hardy county you're on the line what's on your mind
4: All right, how are y'all doing today? Great. Good. Okay, so to begin with, and unfortunately this sounds critical and analytic because it is, but you're referencing the IPCC report, which is full of blatant lies. The people who are saying that we don't have to have vision as at least a backup source are relying on the IPCC's numbers, which are blatant lies. Anyone who is well-informed in this area knows that. Well, and wait, Andrew.
0: What? Why are you? What makes you think they're lies? It, my understanding is that that is a. It was a long time in the in the making, and it was scientists from all over the world, representatives from uh, governments all over the world. That was a consensus okay. building okay. document. I'm I'm not sure where you're. Why you're thinking it's lies?
4: Rather than listening to your rebuttal, I will refer you to Professor Peter Wadham head of the Department of Ice Physics at Cambridge, Emeritus, and his book, A Farewell to Ice, as a primary source, Professor Wadams is is universally recognized as the authority on ice physics for both polar regions and for many years, courtesy of the British Navy, was given a fully crewed nuclear submarine to sail under the Arctic ice cap to do direct physical measurements of the decline of the ice. Nobody challenges his numbers.
0: All right, Andrew, I'm gonna. I appreciate the call. I'm gonna check that out. I'm always interested in hearing um, counter um, points yeah, to. I
4: appreciate you guys. One more thing, just one more. thing. One more thing, Andrew. Nothing functions against counterinsurgents, which is what this broadcast is. It's counterinsurgents.
0: Okay. Thanks for What's the call, the Andrew in and Hardy County, and I'm, I'm glad you're listening to us in Hardy County. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it very much. Um, so I don't know how familiar you are with. I'm assuming you're watching the the UN climate report. A leaky? Is it a bunch of lies? And uh, anyone else out there, what do you think? Is it a bunch of lies? Um, should we not be paying attention to the science?
7: So, Janet I, I, and, and ladies, one thing I guess I would I would say is in Florida we actually don't we don't need the, to to be relying only on the IPCC report to know that climate change is happening and it's causing real harm today. You know whether we're talking about high heat days and people who work in construction and people who work in farm um, in, in in the field, you know people are already feeling high heat days. People are already experiencing flooding. Like it's happening. Um, And so I just want to say whether I I don't think most Floridians agree with 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 the caller um, because they're experiencing the damage of climate change right now.
0: Yeah. And I I, I mean, I've lived here for I hate to say I've lived here for 40 years now. (laughs) I don't hate to say it. It's fine. I love Florida. But I have seen I've seen changes. I mean, I have seen changes. We're all experiencing it. And it's you know, it's it's a weird thing because we're. We're actually able to watch it unfold. You know, I think in okay. in the past, like animals that maybe have gone extinct and their habitats have been destroyed, gardens
2: get- <laughs> blooming at different times. Right. Yeah, I mean the the ma- the heat increase is a matter of record. I mean, it's 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 not something that people are lying about. It's easily measured. You can feel it yourself. You can take a record of temperature and you can see it's hotter than ever, literally right. hotter than ever.
7: Well, and the reality is most Floridians really deeply support clean energy solutions. Most people want to have clean, renewable energy that's more accessible to them. Um, we've had lots of examples in Florida of solar initiatives getting incredible public support. So putting the IPCC uh, report aside for a moment, there is widespread public support for getting a more sustainable energy infrastructure in our state
0: we have an an email from David Bryant who says i think that uh, who wanted to weigh in on what he's doing to reduce his carbon footprint because in the end it, it, or not in the end, but one important piece of it is what are we all doing? We should all be looking at our own carbon footprint. I um, mean, he says the biggest way I've reduced my carbon footprint is from working from home for the past nine years and not needing to drive to the office. I think that the move to work from home and to hybrid home office work will help the climate in the long run. Um, and uh, what do you think about that, Aliki? Are there things that we all can be doing that might help address this climate future?
7: Sure. I mean, there are there are always things that we can be doing in our daily lives, um, but, but I would stress that the most important thing that each and every one of us can do is to demand better of our lawmakers. Uh, when it comes down to it, it's folks who are at our state legislature, it's the governor, um, it's our U.S. Congress people and U.S. senators, our local mayors and city council people. These are the folks who have an inordinate amount of power to... To, to flip this and to make it so that we are living in a world that's sustainable and that we are um, needing 100% clean energy. So I would say all, all of the things that people can do in their individual daily lives are wonderful. Um, they, they are not a substitute for getting active, um, holding lawmakers accountable. As Representative Castor mentioned earlier, elections matter. Uh, getting your friends and family out to vote uh, is incredibly impactful. We know this in Florida better than anywhere where we have the slimmest the margins.
2: Yeah, the only way that individuals can have an effect on policy is to have an effect on who their elected policymakers are. I mean, exactly. you know, you can't just stand up on your corner and yell, I'm making a new policy for my block or <laughs> my street or, yep. you know, you have to be able to work through. We have a representative government and you have to be able to work through them. And so if you want to see the change that you want, you have to, you have to get involved.
0: Well, speaking of that, Aliki, what are what priorities will you have for the upcoming legislative session? You mentioned a couple of things, like the, um, I think it's the solar schools. Are there is there anything else that you're seeing that there might be some movement on that you all will be supporting?
7: Well, there's, a, I mean, every year there's a slew of of great clean energy ideas. Um, we definitely will be supporting the bills that I mentioned earlier. We're going to support any measures uh, to help families. you know, Representative Castor mentioned energy efficiency um, and community solar. And a big priority for us is making sure that as we go solar, as we move forward with clean energy solutions, that those solutions are accessible, not just to folks who, you know, have money in the bank, um, but to low-income communities throughout Florida. So, um, aside from that, I mean, that's really what we're, you know, we're going to be fighting preemption. Preemption rears its ugly head every single year in the Florida legislature. Um, and so it's going to be a matter of figuring out, okay, what flavor is it this time in 2022?
0: It's funny. We're seeing so, preemption uh, play itself out even today in Hillsborough County with the with the mask issue. We've got yeah, um, Rem, exactly. <laughs> Remy on the line who identifies his location as, as heading towards Tampa. So Remy, Remy, you're on the line. What's on your mind?
3: I just wanted to say that anyone who doesn't think climate change is real just needs to look back when the pandemic hit and people stopped driving and stopped flying for a few days and how the air noticeably cleaned up.
0: Yep, thanks for that, um, Reby. I appreciate it. Yeah, um, there were a lot of reports about that, about how things change. And again, that's another one of um, what David had mentioned is that he feels like one of the way he's personally reduced his carbon footprint is by working from home for the past nine years. So we'll see how many of those those um, practices remain in place over the um, coming years.
2: Kind of ironic that we heard from Remy as he was driving on (laughs) I-75. That's true. (laughs) But we appreciate the point, Remy. Thank you for calling in. Um, Yeah, I remember those photographs of uh, the Himalayas that you could see from places in India where they could never be seen before because the haze of pollution was gone during the early days of the pandemic when we had lockdowns all over the world. And I remember those photographs of the, the Himalayas. Um, I know that that was true here in the United States as well, that there were places you could see, mountains you could see, that you had never been able to see before from that vantage point simply because uh, the pollution haze was gone. Hmm. There's um, no
7: denying that we have an impact, and the good news is we can also have a positive impact when we all come together around what I believe and what I know to be true is a shared value, and that is the sustainable future for all of us.
0: Yep. Um, let's see. We have. I'm going to read a text message just because this is from a fan who says, Great environmental show today. Thank you. Because I do think that uh, a lot of our listeners definitely really care about this issue. This is very important to them. Yeah. Um,
2: yeah, and if you like the work that we're doing here on Midpoint, consider being a supporter of WMNF and go to the tip jar on the website, WMNF.org, and uh, show your support. We certainly appreciate it. We're volunteers here. It doesn't go directly to us, but it does support the station's operations.
0: And I'm going to read one last text. It says Someone who is unaware or in denial about climate change must be smoking powerful spliff or working for Exxon. So that could be. Um, Aliki, thank you for being with us today. Uh, I really appreciate it. Thank you um, to um, Kathy Castor for being on the show. Thank you for to Don Chambers for inter- participating in an interview early this week. Thank you to the amazing Patty Perky for answering the phones. We always appreciate it. Um, stay tuned for the NPR news up next and then talking with the animals with Duncan Strauss. You're listening to WMNF
2: Tampa. Bye-bye. See you next week.